0: couple of weeks ago. I just think the last couple of weeks' performances probably haven't been as good as what we were. Um, But at the same time, I'm going down there and I'm I'm hopeful just like everybody else. I think uh, it should be a great occasion. Let's just hope that people's not coming back on the times that we went down there um, miserable because I think we've got a fantastic team. I think we've got a fantastic team spirit um so who knows i know there's a bits and pieces about rashford as well yeah i think that's bollocks to be quite honest me think, too um it's normally what uh, people
1: kidology tend,
0: tend to do yeah i mean um i have to be honest i, I wouldn't be disappointed if he missed um but at the same time i still think we've got a fantastic chance you know we've got some we all know we've got some very very good
1: players so it's just what happens on the day i know it's a cliche
0: but you've just got to play the game rather than the.
1: The occasion. 100%. We'll come to it in the second half. And don't forget, that's your time to ask questions and anybody wants any photographs and stuff done. We can maybe fit them in at half-time or fit them in at the end whenever whenever you want if you've got such time. Anyway, let's go back to the start. Let's talk about the early days at Newcastle United. How did you end up at Newcastle United, Steve? Well, I think it's not a secret. I'm from
0: Sutherland. Um <laughs> <fuck
1: off>. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there is swearing in this show, so i have be easily no, offended... No. You probably want to go downstairs to the birthday party.
0: Yeah, I mean, I must be a glutton for punishment because I was born in Sunderland, I played for Newcastle, and I now live in Middlesbrough. So, <laughs> and you've got a brother called Lee, have we? Yeah, and he's a twat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there was a, there's a league called the Russell Foster League. I think it's still going. And um, there was we, we had a very good team on Saturday, a very good team on a Sunday. We used, uh, we used to have loads of scouts watching us. There was no Premier League then. It was uh, just um, Division One. Um, I got asked to, to go to everyone because I was I wasn't a centre forward, and I think early days, some some of you guys who went, you'll probably know uh, that I wasn't a centre forward. I actually think my name for the first two years at Newcastle was not Steve Howley, I think it was Useless Mac and Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was I was an attacking player, and basically I was a home bird. I wanted to stop home. I had the chance uh, to sign for Sunderland. I had the chance to sign. Um, for newcastle i had a chance to sign for all of them but
1: as i said i wanted to stop home um but you know in the six weeks holidays
0: i used to go to newcastle quite a lot and obviously there were some really good lads there uh, rob Elliott, steve watson alan thompson lee clark matt yattleby um we, we got uh nielsen and nielsen as well we had uh, lee macle and i just got on with the lads um i didn't mind the trek even though it was getting up at six o'clock in the morning to get a bus in a Town centre, then a train, and then the thirty eight to um, Beirut. I mean, ben, sorry. <laughs> um, burnt out cars every time I was driving up there on the bus. Um, but I just, I just liked the vibe that I got, so it was a decision between the two, and um, I picked, I picked Newcastle. To be quite honest, it was probably the best decision I ever made. Mm. Who was the manager when you first went to the club? Believe it or not, it was Jack Charlton. Uh, was the manager that's how uh, long ago it was um, and then I actually signed when it was Willie McFall. Yeah. Um and then obviously as I said we had a our youth team was run by a bloke called uh, Colin um, so it was an, a, an apprentice obviously I served my apprentice, uh, apprenticeship with the rest of the boys um, but we, we, we didn't have a centre-forward, so me and Lee Clark played up front all the time, and to be fair, we, we scored a lot of goals in the intermediate league, and even in, the, even in the reserve league, I mean, it's all changed now with the 23s and stuff like that because in the, in the reserve league, uh, you know, you, were, you could be 16, 17 playing against season pros, and I thought that was a, a major help for players coming through and, and learning experience. Um, and I was lucky enough when Jim Smith took over. Uh, we had a couple of injuries. It was Mark McGee and, and Quinney um and i actually made my debut at 17 coming on at um i think we got beat 2-0 we'd already been relegated at old trafford so making my debut at 17 at old trafford against players who you know can remember shoot magazine and match magazine Mm and stuff like that i used to have pictures of um man united players and and all other players to be quite honest then all of a sudden i'm stood next to them on the pitch it was quite surreal Uh, and then i had to wait a full year I, i did actually get asked Kenny Wharton was um, kind of doing some stuff in Canada, and he asked me if I wanted to play for a team in Winnipeg, which is the back of beyonds. It's basically, there's more fucking polar bears than these people. Um, that didn't appeal to me. And to be quite honest, again, that was a good decision because um, I made my debut, my full debut, I think it was against Plymouth Argyle, first game of the season. Um, and again, I had to wait a little bit you know, to, to get in. Um, Ozzy dealers was the one really i mean i kind of struggled as a center forward up there i mean let's be honest we weren't the best of teams um under aussie Ozzy, i think was brilliant but also kind of wrong in some respects because he got rid of good pros um likes of mark mcgee likes of roy yakin and he did put in a lot of young lads and the lads that i've just mentioned and at times it was kind of boys against men and of course you know i was up front i'm wearing the number nine i'm from someone that doesn't kind of sit well and of course i was shit at the time as well so um yeah just it didn't go brilliant and, and obviously when
1: ozzy ozzy left, kevin came in and then everything completely changed the ozio era was was one which i guess we'll look back maybe we'll rose tinted glasses as support because he gave youth a chance didn't mm-hmm. he And and i think you know a lot a lot is made at the class of 92 of manchester united but we have our own class of 92 with the likes of you and you know you mentioned nash lee clark steve watson the war went on to to have great careers really. well yeah alan thompson you know yeah. fantastic
0: player great career at celtic Bolton. uh rob elliott did really well Matt be kind of so-so i suppose lee make i think went up to scotland mm-hmm. so there was a fair there was a fair few of us to be quite honest um i mean obviously the me what or uh, Rob Elliott and uh, Nash Lee Clark, obviously we were the ones that kind of stayed there for a bit and, and um, managed to uh, keep our places. all initially, mm-hmm. and he was like 16 year old, kind of burst onto the scene. Um, and then obviously when Kevin came in, it was mainly Clark, were kind of major features under Kevin. Um, but that was a complete change for me, because that was me at the start of my career, having never ever played at centre-half before. Went on and, and and managed to play in a relatively
1: successful team. A lot of turmoil going on off the pitch as well, wasn't there? With uh, you know the takeover attempts and uh, you know the the family silver with Gordon McKee, did, did you really you know feel that as a player? You know as a young player at Newcastle at the time? Not really. Yeah, I mean, I think that's
0: why when the takeover and all the the, the stuff that was going on with Mike Ashley and um, you know the Saudis taking over and stuff, and people would ask me questions. Um, does it affect the players? Obviously the players are aware of it, they know what's going on, but as far as they're, they're concerned and what we were concerned is our our kind of main concern is actually trying to get in the team and try to, try to play well for Newcastle. So that's we've got nothing to do with that. It's not as though we you know, kind of have any searing, anything that goes on. But obviously Sir John coming in and, um, and Freddie, again, who had the masterstroke of bringing Kevin in, Um, was, you know, that's how the club all of a sudden went from... um, Basically, the analogy is a snowball effect, because when Kevin came in, it was just a team that was struggling, and all of a sudden, we had the feel-good factor come back for the fans because of Kevin, and then Kevin's complete and way that he changed things, his enthusiasm. uh, Everything about Kevin was just a breath of fresh air to the players, to the fans as I said, it was a snowball effect because it started off like a little snowflake and all of a sudden it would end up being a big snowball which turned into an avalanche that was just, oh, it was just hit everybody in the country because people were like, well, where have these come from? When we were <laughs> playing this
1: ridiculous football um, and everybody's kind of second team. I remember, I remember standing in the Melbourne paddocks back in those days and, and, you know, the atmosphere just changed didn't it overnight. Kevin arrives, he's unveiled at the brewery and... Uh, you know, Newcastle were in a perilous position
0: then, weren't they? We were. We were struggling.
1: and um, I mean, we didn't need in the end, although we
0: won I think, Leicester. 2-1, yeah. Um, but the results had, had gone our way. Uh, but that was the one, that's when Kevin Brady really sat down with Sir John and basically sort of said, this is not happening again. You know, not for these fans, not for this club. And of course, he went out and, you know, we were, as lads in the team, You'd seen people leave, but then you, you'd seen people coming in, and you were thinking, wow, you know, you'd heard of these players that, that, that were big name players, you know, Barry Venison, John Burrisford, Paul Bracewell, Sheedy, all of these. Um, like players that you're just thinking, wow, and all of a sudden training was just getting better and better and better. And it was so intense training. I mean, training was kind of. Weird in one way because we never ever worked on anything. We never worked on any set players. We never worked on any shape. Kevin was all about fiver sides, doing some crossing and finishing, some shooting. He wanted lads to enjoy training, but the fiver side at the end was of such a high quality. When we actually brought in some players, Kevin would make sure that we 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 had to have the standards at a certain level. And then we brought some players in; that couldn't handle it, and then players would come in, and very quickly would find themselves back out and sold
1: again. A lot of talk about Brian Kilcane coming in as well. Mm. He's, he's often looked at as the player that um, you know Kevin Keegan's entertainers was built on. He was like the the very start, the main signing, kept us up, big player. And and I know you know there was a lot of respect in the dressing room for Brian, wasn't it? From, from huge. The lads absolutely loved him. I think he was one of the main catalysts, really,
0: of how we did really well because. Even when he didn't play, and had got to the stage where he wasn't really playing, him in the dressing room, he was absolutely fantastic. He just changed everything, how we thought about things. Fantastic advice for me, always kind of coming to me and sort of seeing what he was seeing, which was a big help. But a personality uh, was, I mean, the boys used to rip the piss out of him all the time, because of his gear, his gear was horrific. Um, but he just didn't care. Um, he was just all for the boys. Um, so he was possibly, whilst Kevin for me was the best signing we ever made, just like you would sort of see at Eddie Howley's now, um, the, the biggest one was, was probably killer because he was just absolutely superb in the dressing room. Obviously it went a little bit pear shaped when the, when we won the, when we won the, um, championship and all the boys went off to Iron Abba, and of course it went a little bit wrong there because of what what the happened? boys. What Fucking Barry Venison man, he's a nightmare. <laughs> um, Venice used to threaten cutting his ponytail off all the time. And Killer loved his hair. He absolutely loved it. And um, I had just moved into the new house. I was actually still living in Sutton, believe it or not, uh, in Sulpsworth. And um, I was uh, with my missus and... uh, Obviously, at the end of the season, Paul Briswell and Venice would keep on saying to me, listen, you've got to come on this. It's not very often you win a championship. You know, you've got to take it all in. You've got to enjoy these moments. Don't come around very often. But obviously, my main concern was getting settled in the house and keeping my missus happy. I should have fucked off because I got divorced from her anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, the lads had got pissed. Absolutely wrecked, and Killer was one of these. He was massively into his heavy metal stuff, and he used to take his um, like the band out and like shake his head, and his hair would be all over the place. and Killer could drink, but he passed out apparently. And when he passed out, I think Venice and um, I can't remember who else it was, but definitely Venice was the catalyst in there. Chopped half of his ponytail off and shaved the other half of his <laughs> tash, and put it in a champagne flute. So when he woke up the next, when he woke up hung over. he's kind of opened his eyes and he's just seen hair in a glass and absolutely lost his blob. Um, Liam O'Brien was there, obviously, he was in the killer camp. Um, Ned Kelly was there, he was in the killer camp. So, obviously, Killer was hurt because he was hurt that the lads had done it to him, but he was also hurt that the lads didn't stop them doing it to him. Yeah. Um, and of course, Derek Pazakli was with us, Faz, great lad, fantastic coach. He knocked on Faz's door, Daz opened, uh, Faz opened the door and he knocked him clean out, Oof. Um, just hit him, just laid him out, and um, and basically was running after uh, Venice to try and catch him. But that was a massive divide, and, and when when we came back, I mean, I was so happy I didn't go in the end uh, because of all this that had uh, gone on. Um, Killer was different, as I said, because he felt hurt and felt let down, which was a shame because he was such a lovely man. I mean, we, we still see him, yeah, and he is still just
1: such a wonderful person. What was it like? In that promotion season as well, you, was it a 12-game unbeaten run at the start of the season? And I think went down to Sunderland, 1-2-1, one, one, overhead, you know, the, the over-the-wall by Liam O'Brien. It was a hell of a run, wasn't it, at the start of the season, which was the catalyst for that? It
0: was. Um, I think it was actually, it was this, I think Burnley, Burnley would go for, for that just the other week. Yeah, I they think were. They scored the 95th minute or something to draw with, what, I think, something like that. But yeah, and it worked mm-hmm. out quite, how it worked out was quite... Unreal really because it was Grimsby that beat us of all teams. Dublin. Dublin with a worldly absolute <laughs> worldly goal. We got beat one 0 and as it transpired it actually worked out we went down there and won two 0 and clinched clinched promotion. Um but yeah, I mean we just had I think our first game was South End at home and it was pissing down. Mm. and we won three two. And that was the first uh, Paul Brisworth scored in the only <laughs> scored ever. Um, And it was just a feel-good factor and as I said that was the start really of a snowball effect which ended up being a ridiculous kind of encounter.
1: Culminated in that wonderful performance at home as well when you know ironically against Leicester who we would have to win to stay up the previous season and Mm. then you know the the end of that season 6-0 up at half time it was a 7-1 win and what was it like just being there and part of that as a player? It was unbelievable
0: because I think the ground was getting done as well at the time, mm. and Leicester were flying. I think Leicester might have been second or third, and we absolutely demolished them. And that was just like a shore of how good we were. I mean, I, I, I know Steve Walsh quite well, I know Jerry Taggart quite well, uh, and one or two of the other boys, and was he is it, and stuff like that. And they were like, we could not even get anywhere near it. It was just untouchable football. Uh, and just remembering. The, the fan celebration and stuff, and the, the kind of the going around the, the pitch with a trophy. and I mean, I think Kevin kind of looked at that and thought, well, this is the start because, again, Kevin wouldn't rest. He always wanted bigger and better. And of
1: course, ridiculously, we did. How important was a good friend of yours and mine, Pavel Cernacek, in that promotion season? Brilliant. Great
0: goalkeeper. I mean, there's times when, as a defender, you'll go to uh, engage somebody. But before you've made that step, they've had a shot, and there's been, there was a couple of times when it goes past you, you don't have to turn around because you're thinking, that's him, because that's in top bins, And Pav was such, a, you know, he was the perfect specimen, if you think about it. Mm. I mean, he was built like, like, wonderful, wonderful to see, very uh, agile, and he would just go, uh, he would just see these these ones that you would just think, how, how the bloody hell is he getting that? Um, but, I mean, obviously we went to Pavlovsk, didn't we, over yeah. in Czech Republic? And um, it was, you know, from from seeing him and he like he, like he was, it's still heartbreaking if it, like, to like to think he's still still not
1: here. Yeah, he yeah, had the 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 Pavla's a Jodie T-shirt on as well. How did I that come you. about? I haven't, I haven't got a clue. To be quite it's honest, it's Clark who printed it off. I think he's got a, he's got a history with T-shirts, Clark.
0: Yeah, he yeah, yeah. has. Um, well Nash was a wrong in any way. I mean, Lynn <laughs> Clark's nickname's Nash. Um, and he was always up to mischief to be quite honest and it's a very good chance to start with him mm-hmm. and of course the fans took it on and um, you know he's
1: gone down as pretty much one of the iconic figures really with the Newcastle fans which is brilliant he has at the end of that season obviously Andy Cole had come in uh, a bit of an unknown quantity of the worst. obviously went on to become the club's record goal scorer in a season beating Huey Gallagher's record but his incoming meant that there was outgoings. Uh, Gavin Peacock left because he obviously had a family issue with the, the birth of his son and having to have treatment down in London. And David Kelly left, which I think you know, you know, he scored a hat trick on the telly. David Kelly was a hero to us, but he ended up leaving, and it was it was a lot of head scratching went on. But as you said, Keegan had other things in mind, other players in mind, and he was rebuilding.
0: Yeah, he wanted bigger and better, and and I think um, with Gavin and Ned, it was a case of. He did actually go to the players and say, listen, you've done absolutely fantastic for us. I'll try and get you the best deal that I possibly can, financially for you, obviously a deal where you want to be. But I want to just thank you. But the harsh reality is I'm, I'm looking to build and get better players in. And obviously, Coles was, was one of them players that came in. I played against Coley. I actually played against him uh, in the Youth Cup when he played for Arsenal. We, we won 1-0 at St James's. I actually scored I was centre-forward at the time. Um, Paul Dickoff as well was playing up front. Paul Dickoff ends ends up he's one of my best mates now, um, which is weird. But I, I remember playing against Cole's when it was at Bristol City, and I can remember saying to Kevin afterwards, know he's he's decent, in. You know, he was quick. He had really good feet. But do I think he would he would come to Newcastle and do what he did? No. But delighted he, he he did because he just had this partnership with Peter that was just absolutely brilliant. And obviously we it, had soup and all that. Um, so yeah, I mean it was a, an unbelievable sign because I mean I still scratch my head to see to, to wonder why he sold them to them, like eventually uh, Man United. But um,
1: <coughs> it is what it is. Peter Beasley coming back, I mean, you know, he was brilliant the first time, he was he was fantastic the second time. What a what a player, a club a club legend. And again it just showed, you know, that, that Kevin was really gonna go for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, um I get asked who was the best player I ever played with. I mean, bearing in mind. You know, with England kind of set up with Gascoigne and stuff and then obviously you've got David Ginola, Les, Al, Fastino, um, all of these players, Peter, Rob Lee, Peter was best, absolutely frightening. Um, in the dressing room he was quite, um, his tongue was quite sharp uh, at times but in training he was ridiculous uh, in games, he was absolutely ridiculous. He's obviously got that trick, which everybody knows is coming, that he can do absolutely bugger all about But it was weird because Kevin loved him. And even when Peter gave the ball away, because sometimes the ball would come to Pedro and he would hit it the first time, and it would be a shit pass. But it wasn't his fault. It was our fault because we weren't on the same wavelength. That's how Kevin used to see it anyway. But he was unbelievable. I mean, the goals that he scored uh, and
1: the... The kind of partnership you had with was absolutely frightening. You've talked about the characters. You've got some great stories about them, which I want you to share with, with the people here tonight. So, in no particular order, let's let's talk about Philippe Albert first. What what was he like? I mean, he the big the big Belgian. He was rude. Um,
0: I, again, I, I am going to swear. On some of the stories are quite rude. Um, but Philippe Philippe was basically Belgium's answer to Chubby Brown. He was pure filth, pure filth, um, but great lad, he loves Sid the Sexist, um, but I, just the daft one was, um I did, can you remember a program called A Low Low, and then there was a the big tall like French copper, he spoke like him, and um, I can remember being in the lounge, Philip had just signed, and uh, I was with my dad and my mom, and uh, my dad's gone, Steve, do me a favour, can you introduce me to Philippe? I wouldn't have any bother. So I've gone across, so I went, um, Philippe, this is my dad Norman, this is my mum Yvonne, and he basically pied me dad up and he just went, ah, Yvonne, I have heard a lot about you. <laughs> my mum's like, eh? <laughs> I have heard you've had two lovers, the army and the navy. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, Phil, fucking hell, man. you a slag. And he just starts to laugh and he goes, she fucking loves it. (laughs) But he was, as I said, he loves Sid the sexist. Uh, What all used to bring different videos on. Phil, the daft bugger, used to just sit at the back of the bus. Um, If you watch games when we're coming out the tunnel, bear in mind, we were always on Sky and there was like, God knows how many watching at home. The grounds was absolutely packed. We'd be in the tunnel and Phil used to always be at the back. Pretty much, mostly must be at the back. And normally you're in the tunnel, and you're ready to go, and both sides, you've got lads going, fucking hell, boys, come on, let's do this from the start, fucking from minute one, come on, come on. And then we'd all be walking out, and he'd go, boys, boys, and we'd turn round, and without fear, he'd just go, titsu. <laughs> and fucking hell, Phil, there's millions of people watching so all the year gone, titsu. fucking hell. <laughs> right. But I mean, it was, we used to go out, we used to, we had a great camaraderie that lasted all my time through at Newcastle, pretty much. And we always used to go out on a Monday or a Tuesday. We used to go to Quayside. We used to go to Uno's first and then like some Jimmy's and Martha's and Julie's and stuff like that. Kevin was all for that. Um, we always used to come in on the, on the Wednesday or the Tuesday. Kevin wanted us in just to make sure he could count the numbers and make sure that he hasn't been holy hell the night before. Um, and we used to always go upstairs. We used to get changed. Our kid on, go stairs for a cup of coffee, a cup of tea before training started. And we used to always tell stories. Fucking hell, what happened to you? What happened to you? I've seen you with this bird, I've seen you with that bird. And with all but um single lads, so, of course. Um, I can tell these stories. I was a seven left them. So we're telling these stories, and um there was there was one, I'm stood at the bar and um I'm waiting to get a drink. So Julie's bar is about this high. So I'm I'm stood there and there was this really attractive girl comes up and she said, Steve, can I buy you a drink? And I went, no, you're all right. I said, "Uh, I'll get you one. So next to me was uh, Peasy, then there was Bez, and then the big daft Belgian. So the big daft Belgian, he he leans over and he looks, he catches the eye of the lass and goes, well, hello. (laughs) She went, "Oh." Do you like, uh,
1: chocolate?
0: <laughs> what? Do you like chocolate? Do I like chocolate? Yeah? Well, suck my cock, because it's a Mars bar. For <laughs> <laughs> so is gone. Sleep. What the fuck are you doing? I know you're trying to do sit the sexist, but sit the sexist. You like flowers? Get your tulips around this. Do you like jewellery? Suck me cock. It's a gem. What do you said is nonsense. So the night's gone. We're in the next morning. Lads are telling tales about what they're getting up to, what time they left, and all oh, this kind of thing. We're all there. Karen's out. Terry Mack. Bez goes. Boys. boys, what about the fucking big dark Belgian? So Bez is telling the story, and all the boys are pissing themselves laughing. And Philippe is just sitting there, he's got his feet on another chair like that, and he's laughing. And Kevin goes, Philippe, you know, why are you laughing? You know, do you not understand that the boys are taking the piss out of you? Do you not get the humour? Why are you laughing? He went, I left because at the end of the night, she sucked my master.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. Um, Tino Aspria space cadet
0: <laughs> absolutely nuts um, I mean obviously there's the, the story between him and Kevin where they speaking Spanish thing but as I said every it's different now because you look at how teams get to and from games and, and the, the, the buses I mean the, even the buses have changed the buses are kind of beautiful now we were we used to go down by Mooddale and Newdale was a nice bus you know tables and stuff and three TVs in it and and all that kind of thing. But every journey, most of the time, was a long journey for us. So Bears used to sometimes do games. There was card tables. Lads, some of the lads used to play for like, big money at the back. On my table, there was me, Bears, Rob Lee, and Scoot, Scott Sellers. We used to just play for pennies. Um, but, of course, if we were going down to Southampton or London, it was hours and hours and hours. So there had to be some sort of entertainment. What we used to do, bear in mind, this is how long ago, it was the video cassettes. Um, so we, we didn't do a thing where if we got a new lad in, they didn't have to stand on the table and do singing and stuff like that, even though it was about then. You just had to bring something that was worthwhile on the bus to, to kind of keep us entertained. Now if you remember, we used to train at Davin Castle, the Graham Sports Centre. And um, again, if you remember, there was loads of people used to come uh, come watch us train. and. Um, it used to take ages to get off the train pitch, and he used to get on the bus. We used to have to finish quite early just to get on the bus, because obviously you're signing and, and uh, autographs and photos and stuff like that, but we would all eventually go on. Anyway, Shira had getting into uh, Tino and just sort of said, we need something from you. So we'd literally just get on the A19 and Tino put a cassette in, that was this Colombian music, it was diabolical. <laughs> so Shira's and gone down to the front, Ken, the bus driver, he's ejected it and went, sprayer. shit. And he's opened up those things up on the roof and it down here and I and went, fucking do better. So, Teo's took this on board. So, again, we're, we're traveling away, we've trained at the end castle, we've got hundreds of people around the bus. I mean, the, the kind of screens are blacked out, but you can kind of still see inside. Um, we have, again, the food is just sandwiches from Marks and Spencers and crisps. It's not like the, that, that you have now, we have got a chef and everything. So we're sitting on the bus and we're all on. We're just waiting for the gaffer and uh, Terry Mack. So Tino goes in his bag and he gets out the cassette, puts the cassette in. And if you remember VHS, used, when a key comes on it, would go... And then a picture would come on. So, we're kind of eating our food, boys on the tables and stuff like that. I can see you at the back. There's a one just kind of here. And, uh, and there's one at the front. We're looking at it and we're going, "Spray, what's this? And he went, you must watch, you must watch. So we're looking at it. Anyway, yeah, the picture comes clear and, and it's just all you can see is a woman's foot in high heel shoes. And eventually it pans out and pans out. And then there's this beautiful, stunning woman in this picture absolutely gorgeous she is she's in this wonderful villa looking out uh, across the ocean she's got all the gear on she's got the heels on the stockings all the lingerie stuff and a long silk dressing gown type thing and we're going fuck off he hasn't has he he hasn't he's going you watch you watch you watch so she's walking around and strutting about and all this kind of thing anyway there's a knock on the door and she opens the door, and there's this big, big area skier. He's got jeans on, put their work boots on, a tool belt, big bushy beard, white vest, and we're going, oh no, he has, he only has.
1: <laughs> and
0: literally, to cut a long story short, within about two or three minutes, we are watching hardcore porn. <laughs> this woman is getting battered. <laughs> and she's screaming the place down. Absolutely screaming the place down. Bearing in mind, the bus is static. <laughs> and we've got mums and dads and kids.
1: that in here,
0: the dads are basically turning the, <laughs> the wives and the kids away, but trying to break the necks to save people. <laughs> oh, this is for like professional footballers watch on the camera. Hardcore So Kevin comes on the bus, and all he can hear is this woman screaming. And he looks at the screen and he goes, What
1: oh, the hell is this? Ken, get
0: this off. We've got moms and dads. We've
1: got kids here, man. Get it off.
0: Get it off. And Ken was just about to reject it, and Tino come running down the bus.
1: No, 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 you must leave this
0: on. This is my new
1: missus.
0: <laughs> Tino was going out with a porn star at the time from Parma, and that was his way of introducing us to his missus. He
1: could have just brought her in the fucking place lounge and all that, that would have been better. But that was Tino. We also had a, a mercurial French winger, uh, David Giannola. Um, tell us about him and, and a few stories about David. He stitched me up as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, well he was gorgeous when
1: he, I
0: mean, I'm definitely for women, but uh, he turned my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was absolutely stunning. He had such a physique on him as well. I mean, just looking at him naked, I'm like. It's not fair. (laughs) Although he wasn't blessed in that department, which was the only good thing, really. But he could could wear out. He could wear a bloody bin line, and he'd still look at dog's bollocks. Um, But, I mean, he was was amazed, really, about the setup that we had at, uh, at Maiden Castle, because, yes, we had our own dressing rooms, but if we went for a shower, you could be stood next to somebody that was part of the university that's getting a shower. So he was just like what is this, what is this, who is he, does he play reserve football? like, no, he's from the University, oh, this didn't happen at uh, Paris (laughs) Saint-Jean. Blake Clark was like, you're not that fucking (laughs) Paris (laughs) Saint-Germain. So he kind of got a, uh, it it was a culture shock for Dave, but I mean, I can remember his first game, actually, we played in Middlesbrough and uh, a good friend of mine, Neil Cox, was playing fullback and I actually felt sorry for him and you know you feel as though you you want to go across to dave and say listen you're gonna have to stop because he absolutely you know tore him in two i mean but dave was a, he was a model you know he's a model for cerruti which is like versace and gucci type thing um i remember once we played down it in in london and me and Bez, there was a fashion show and um and david had um I'd stitched david up because Whilst his English was good, obviously I'd, I'd stitched him up with the rude word that he'd said to a woman, and a woman, woman wasn't too happy, and he said, he would get me back. And um, I thought nothing of it, because months and months had gone by. And me and Bez went to this show that David was doing, and there was all these models going there, but particularly page three models, so me and Bez thought, I can some of that. Um, but it was very clear, early, di- early dollars, that me and Bez were just not big enough names in, in any way, shape or form. And so me and Bez was like, you know, boy, we're just going to go. And we couldn't get a cart for of the money. And uh, so we just sort of said to Dave, can you get us a, a lift? And he went, listen, Mr. and Mrs. Saruti, the actual people, uh, are leaving. Their limo is leaving. They'll be able to drop you off. And uh, I went, all right. And he went, boy, Max, mind boy. He went, boy, when you get out of the car, say to Mrs. Saruti, Mrs. Saruti, Zeus, Macias, Allah. And I went, Steve and he went, No, he said, Mate, do that. He said, She'll love you for it. And I went, All right, then. All right, so, me and Bez get in, we're sitting in this posh limo, me and Bez side by side, they sat opposite, just talking. They could speak like broken English, obviously, we're doing the Steve McLaren thing by like trying to speak English and French, from the nonsense. So, anyway, it dropped us off, and I'd get them out the car, and Bez went, Oh boy, what were we supposed to say? What were we supposed to say? And I went, Oh, uh, Mrs, Mrs. Saruti, Zeus, uh, my curse up. And she went, Oh. And her husband went, oh, wow. And then he started laughing, she started laughing. I went, I'm sorry, I said, I've offended you. And he, he just started laughing. He went, where well, have you heard that? I went, oh, David told me to see it. I said, what's wrong? He said, basically, you just sort of said, Mrs. Cerruti, suck me cock, you bitch. <laughs> <clears throat> Dad, David rang me up, and he was like, did you see it? I went, yeah, I said Went, well, yeah, I had Mr. Cerutti on the phone. He says, no pissing in <laughs> Dave was, Dave was a, a great lad, an absolute great lad. Um, he bought into the, he bought into the project. So did uh, everybody that signed. You know, there could have been big stars like Dave was, uh, like Les was, uh, all the other boys. You know, because we made sure that they realised how important it was for us to have a good team and and for you to get. The area for you to get Newcastle and how much it means
1: to them, their football team. Another winger who you played with at Newcastle was Keith Gillespie. Um, I know you got some great stories about Keith. Can I share a couple of those?
0: Um, yeah, Keith's nickname is Dizzy, just not because he's thick, because he's everything, but is actually very clever, Keith. Uh, but his, his nickname is Dizzy from Dizzy Gillespie, the trumpet player. Um, I don't know who came of that, but it's not exactly exciting. But, Keith obviously has wrote a book and, and all this kind of thing uh, I can remember I mean obviously everybody talks about what happened with Alan Shearer and Keith over in Dublin and um, we, we kept it quiet we kept it quiet because obviously I'll knock Keith out uh, we kept it quiet and literally about a week when we came back there was me Warren Barton Rob Lee and Bess, we did a big do at, I think it was Dunstan Fed, there was about 500 people there or something, it was massive, but it was a Roman mic thing. And basically, I can't remember who, was, who the, like, the bloke was who was doing it, but obviously there was people in the audience with microphones that would wander around, and it was just purely a, a Q&A. And the very first question was like, who wants to ask a question? Everybody was putting their hands up, but he asked this bloke. And basically, we all knew what the question was. He said, Warren, Warren. He went, everybody here wants to know, can you tell us the story about what happened with Keith Gillespie and Alan Shearer? And he went, well, actually, I wasn't there. He said, but the boy was. So I thought, right, I'll tell him. So what happened was, um, Kenny was the manager. And Kenny wasn't flying over with us, so it was Terry Mack that was looking after us, which is a fucking pointless exercise for <laughs> Terry Mack. It was basically a fox looking after hens. We just got pissed. On the, on the, on the plane, we got, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd got off the uh, plane, went to the hotel, got changed, and we were all out. Um, Tony went, listen boys, the gaffer's getting in about 7 o'clock, everybody be back at 7 o'clock, we'll have something to eat, we'll have a meeting, and then you can come back out. So we've all gone back out, and we were a group where we wouldn't go off in little bits, although later on we did. because <clears throat> If you remember, I think um, Stuart Pearce got done for throwing one of those big cones in a woman's uh, woman's car. Um, and he you a check, didn't he? He did, he, t- he told her, Alice, how thick this is. he was mortified. So uh, he'd got, he got the woman and he went, listen, I need to keep this quiet. Please, can we keep it quiet? And she went, well, yeah, give us 200 quid. So he basically signed a cheque and give it to her. So she had a cheque as evidence that this is what happened, maybe. <laughs> So as I said, we were a group. We used to always go out, we always went out together. And whilst we, we all liked to drink, we used to like playing games and forfeit and stuff like that. So we'd all sit around in a big table. I know it's childish, but there was a drink in the middle, which it has got everything in it, just awful things that you didn't want to drink. And we used to play, like, Buzz, which is multiples of seven and stuff like that, or Names Off. And Names Off could be something which has got to be common knowledge. I mean, I'm not in on race some, uh, race jockeys and all that kind of thing, so that was off the table. So it would have to be kind of... You know, alphabetical order football teams, or airlines, or flavoured crisps and stuff like that. And it goes round the group. You, obviously, you can't see what's being said. And if you get it wrong, you've got a drink. Then you can pick the next topic. Keith was pissed, and he was already chewing because he went to go to the toilet and he had his hands in his pockets. And the lad in front of him, some random lad, had opened the door and let go. And Keith had his hands in his pockets, and the door hit him. So he wasn't an happy. And Keith was one of these, he would, he would want to fight anybody, but Keith couldn't fight. He's rubbish, he's soft. So um, he's, he's seen his ass a little bit. Anyway, believe it or not, Shearer is a massive, massive wind up merchant. He's murder. If there was anything going on, Shearer will be either in the middle of it or part of it. So we're playing these games. <clears throat> and as I said, Keith is very clever, very clever. But because he's had a drink, when you play these games, it is imperative you do not get caught on the bounce like two or three times on the bounce because you're nagged. So you might as well get on. And Keith would always stop at Keith. Would always stop at Keith. And wouldn't get round. And she was hammering. <clears throat> and as I said, Keith was Keith was annoyed. Anyway, it comes around, stops at Keith. Comes around, stops at Keith. And Al's has gone. Fucking hell, man! You're on your thick Irish bastard and all this kind of stuff. And Keith is gone. He pushed his chair off and he went, Listen, you baldy bastard. He said, If you call me one more time, me and you's going outside. Keep and I've gone, Fucking sit down, you idiot. Anyway, I've gone, Right, it, I'm chairman, I'll fucking start again. I went, Keep, I said, Listen, I'm gonna do some, I'll, I'll do your side first. So I've gone to my left, different flavored crisps, salt and vinegar. And I've looked at him and he went, Salt and vinegar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I've <was> gone, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fucking hell, Keith. I've got, a, I've got a champagne cork in my hands, and I've gone, fucking hell, Keith, and I've bounced it off the table. And it could have gone anywhere, anywhere, and it's bounced and hit Keith in the eye. <laughs> Sheera, as quick as a flash, went, fucking look here, you. are the only fucking Irishman who knows, who doesn't know where cork is. <laughs> Which was brilliant for Al. <laughs> Keith's going, gone, that's it, fucking that's it. And he went, me and you outside, me and you outside. Now, sat next to me was Des Hamilton. Remember Des Hamilton? I Have you ever watched the film Jumanji, the very first one with Robin Williams? When all the animals run, boom, there's a the big fat rhino at the back. <laughs> That's Des. <laughs> so Des comes to me. Boys, what are you doing? Are you going up there? I went, fuck off. I said, I'm at the embryo stage of a fucking drinking session here. Eh? I said, I'm flying. I said, if, if I miss a feet, I'm naked. I said, you crack on there. You crack on. So they've gone up, There's has gone after
1: them, and literally within about 30 seconds, I hear the rhino coming down the corridor. <laughs>
0: he's hit him, he's hit him, he's only fucking hit him. I've gone, oh fucks, yeah, I've gone up, and gone up, up the corridor, and at the, the entrance, the door entrance, she was stood there, Kate's on the floor, flat out, claret all over the place. I've gone, what have you fucking done? He went, I've been him. I said, I can see that. I said, you fucking knocked him out. He went, but he, he went to punches. So I went, fucking, you get yourself away. I said, I'll sort it out. So I sorted out, ambulance came, me and Keith went. As I said, he stood a boot and all this, and he mentions this. But what he doesn't mention at this particular time, he's actually shit and pissed himself. <laughs> <laughs> Keith sat out the boot.
1: <coughs>
0: so I've told the story. Now, Rob Lee was at this do with me on this big do where the questions were about. And Rob Lee is murder. Now, I love Rob, but if you ever catch Rob in full, please take a picture and send it to me on social media. Because normally, from here to here with Rob Lee is up Alan Shearer's arse. It's fucking (laughs) funny. So I'm driving on, and it comes up. Here's Shearer. I was like, fucking hell. So I know for a fact, Rob Lee's been on the phone.
1: Alan, 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 Steve, Alan, Steve, Alan, I Alan, Steve, Alan, 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 Alan. I wouldn't do it, Alan, I love you, Alan,
0: Alan, Alan, Alan. Fuck I went, hello? He went, you mac bastard. <laughs> I said, man. He went, you told the story, I went, I did tell the story, I went, fucking calm down, I said, the love you know, what do you mean the love did? I said, I told the story, I said, there's 600 people there, I says, Keith went for I said, you duck, boom, I said, you were like Mike Tyson, I said, and 600 people, Stoke, and we going, She-Ra,
1: she <laughs> he went, what, the? I went, either way, he went, well, you keep on telling that fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the first half, We your to together Steve Howie. We're going to do the raffle now. Uh, we're going to have another signed programme, signed by Steve uh, and Rob Lee. We've also got uh, a photograph of that goal uh, celebration at Wembley, the last time we were there in '99, signed by Rob Lee and Steve Howie. And uh, we've got a couple of other prizes as well. Rebecca's uh, going to come round the raffle. Tickets are two pound a strip, three for a fiver. Okay. We'll be back after this. You've got time to go to the bar, go to the toilet, or go for a smoke. We'll be back on in about 15 minutes.